Chapter 15 The Doctor The worst part for us wasn't being trapped in a small, greasy encasement with a burned arm, nor was it being alone. No, the worst part was not knowing where Callie was, and there was precious little he could do. Rass ran his hands in front of him, feeling a metal ceiling several inches from his nose, then a sharp tug of metal caught his hand. He felt the warmth of blood in his palm, causing him to recoil and knock his begoggled forehead against the elevator with a thud. I think you survived, an old voice said. Young man, did you survive? Rass almost demanded where Callie was, but he still held out hope that they might leave him for dead, giving him an opportunity to escape. Young sir, I am leaving this machine here until you're ready to speak. A pause. I can wait. I even have a comfy chair. The musty air tickled Rass's nose, and he fought valiantly to suppress a sneeze. He failed. The sneeze shook his body, and his forehead once again struck the elevator. Bless you, the old voice said. Would you be in need of a kerchief? The voice seemed willing enough to please. Wouldn't you need to lift the elevator? Rass asked. He speaks. A panel opened in front of Rass's face, and a white kerchief floated down, obscuring Rass's view before he could see who dropped it. And no, I don't. Thank you, I think. You are most welcome, the man said, his voice once again muffled. Now, what are you doing in my city? Right now I'm lying underneath an elevator wondering if my friend is all right. He wondered how one could own a falling city. A girl? She took a spill, but is being seen to, I'm told. Who am I speaking with? Ress asked. I'm afraid it is with whom am I speaking. You mustn't end a sentence with a preposition. That is something up with which I shall not put. He giggled. The elevator must have knocked the grammar straight out of me, Rass said, rolling his eyes. Quite. You are addressing Dr. Bernard O'Reisenbraun, proprietor and repossessor of what was once referred to as Solaria, he said. May I call you Dr. O? You wouldn't be the first. My minions tell me you are called Rass. Is that short for Raziel or Rastaban? Your minions? You can't have missed them, he said with a scoff. Minion number 16 received a kick to the face from your friend. He was only trying to save her from the elevator. After trying to drop us down the shaft. You'll have to forgive minion number 8. He took my order to make sure you drop by my office a touch literally, Dr. O said sympathetically. Is there any chance we could continue this conversation elsewhere? Oh, there's an excellent chance. All you have to do is tell me where you crashed your ship. Who says I have a ship? Tut, tut, Mr. Rastaban, please do not insult my intelligence. No remnant would dare pass through the fence. Now, please, the location of your vessel. Why do you need to know that? Well, to be perfectly forthright, repairing a flying city takes an awful lot of spare parts. The irony of Rass's purpose in the falling city was not lost on him, but to be fair, he didn't know anyone had been planning on using these parts. Funny, that's what I came down here for. Most do. My ship's engines are broken. I doubt they would be of use to you. The elevator floor panel lifted again, revealing a balding, white-haired, bespectacled man leaning over from a wheelchair. Not broken. I just disabled him. He grinned. The elevator lifted, and two young, white-haired men clad with green glowing goggles stood at the entrance with rifles pointed at Rass. Given that he was constantly moving from one dark place to another, Rass started to get used to the functional blindness. The guards shoved him roughly into a pitch-black room, causing him to trip and tumble over something that gave a guttural grunt as the door slammed shut. He scurried away, knocking into one of the walls before falling back to the floor. A decidedly masculine groan emanated from the unknown source. Not Callie. Hey, sorry about that, Rass said to his new roommate, picking himself up. Did you come to rescue me? The voice asked. The tone contained no traces of hope, yet no sarcasm. It merely queried for information. I wish I could say I did, Rass said. But there's no reason we can't make each other's escape a secondary objective. 
Rass ran his hand along his smooth bulkhead. Let me guess, your airship crashed too? About a month ago, I think. I won't tell him where it is. Pretty sure it's what's keeping me alive, he said. Name's Carter. Rass. He felt awkward not shaking the man's hand. Nice little trap, they said. Did anyone else come before me? A couple, but that was probably a few weeks ago, Carter said. I haven't seen them since they said where their ship was. Rass pounded a fist against the wall twice, hoping for a response. None. So, Carter, who are these people? Rass asked, sliding over to find the next wall. Daemonites, Carter said. That's funny. Why? Sounds like demons is all. Not far from the truth. They knock you out of the sky and drag you to the depths. How do they knock ships out of the sky? Rass asked. Everyone I've talked to had the same symptoms. Engine suddenly going out and set out to look for parts. I'm curious how many pilots don't make it past the pylons. Rass pounded twice on the wall opposite the door. No response. What are you doing? Carter asked. Looking for a friend. They might have her in another room. Ah, good luck with that. What kind of ship did you fly? Do I fly? Rass said. It's based off an old Rytrap model. Wind merchant, huh? Rytraps can't carry much besides collection tanks. Are you collective? Rass scoffed. Please. I'm about as far from that as you can get, he said, then immediately regretted it. He had no idea whether Carter was a guild member. You? No. Sky Pirate? Now that I think about it, that's probably what the collective... Rass's knee connected hard with something sharp and metal. He let out a cry of pain. Sounds like you found the cot. <clears throat> you could have warned a guy. Apologies. A pause. Well, aren't you going to ask about me? Rass finished rubbing his knee and navigated to the final wall. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. Sorry, just preoccupied. Uh, tell me about yourself, Carter. He wished he sounded more interested for Carter's sake, but couldn't muster it. What kind of ship do you fly? He knocked twice on the wall and waited. Well, I flew a tropo-capable. Carter began, but two response pounds on the wall quickly cut him off. Callie, Rash shouted. A high-pitched muted voice came through the bulkhead. That won't attract attention, Carter deadpanned. Oh, Rass said, I am such an idiot. He felt for the knack visions perched atop his head. They winked on, crackled a bit in protest from their abuse, then showed him the dull lines of energy coursing through Solaria's emergency systems. The lines running behind the bulkhead wall showed him his boundaries, and the faint glow of green goggles moving toward the room he thought contained Callie. The guards entered the room and appeared to struggle with something. Muffled shouts echoed down the hallway. Two more guards walked down the corridor toward his room. Carter? Yeah? Triple capable, Rass said. Hold that thought. I think we've got a chance to break out. Two guards are coming. Hide in the corner, and the one I say, rip the goggles off their face to the one close to you. Without them, they're blind. Got it. Rass stepped back to the opposite side of the small room by the metal cot, ready to leap. The door slid open with a whoosh. One of the guards said, Erasmusphere, we cordially invite you. Now, Rass shouted. One of the sets of green eyes jerked violently away from the entrance, and Rass launched himself from the metal cot, bowling into the other guard. He tackled the guard, throwing them both to the ground. Once horizontal, Rass scrambled forward and pulled the man's goggles from his head. He clasped both hands together and swung his fists, solidly striking the minion and ending the struggle. Rass donned the green goggles in favor of the knack visions, and the world came alive in monochrome, now filled with a mountain of a man in a tank top and goggles. Carter immediately dropped the upside-down guard he had been holding. Wow, you're tall, Rass said. Carter shrugged and ran his hand over his short hair. It's nice to see you again. Did he say you were cordially invited? Rass entered the hallway and found the cell next door empty. Dejected, he watched Carter stuff the unconscious guards inside it. He configured the two pairs of goggles in such a way that his right eye looked through the knack visions while his left eye looked through the night sight, allowing him to alter whether he saw the structure of the place or his immediate surroundings. Opening both just dizzied him. He looked around and spotted the two bobbing pairs of energy-powered goggles walking away on their level. He turned to see if Carter was following him. You could have mentioned you were a wrecking ball. 
I'm small from where I come from, Carter said, easily catching up. You're smaller than I imagined. Well, we can't all be giants, Rass said, turning his attention back to the two guards in the distance. They began rising evenly and started to mingle in with other sets of dots. Rass and Carter turned down an empty corridor, heading unopposed toward the elevator at its end. So, where are you from? Rass asked. Aloria. I can't say I've heard of it. That doesn't surprise me, Carter said. They approached the elevator door and Rass's right eye told him the vacant elevator car was approaching. The door slid open and they entered. Unsure of which floor the guards exited, Rass looked over all the buttons. Uh, let's try sub-level 8? Try? Carter asked. I thought you were leading us out of here. I'm pretty sure I mentioned I had a friend. Carter grunted. A lady friend. Well, that makes more sense, Carter said. Just remember you're not the only one with someone to reunite with. Noted. Wife and kid. Doubly noted, Rass said as the elevator lifted. Son or daughter? Daughter. Less than a year old. The elevator ascended in silence. Rass didn't want to contribute to another child's growing up fatherless. Then let's get you back to your ship. The elevator began to slow, and Rass's right eye told him there were four sets of eyes waiting to board. Oh, wrecking ball time. Can you handle four? Rass asked quietly. Gonna have to, huh? Carter asked with what sounded like a hint of relish. The door slid open, and all four Daemonites suddenly found themselves either on the ground or thrown against the wall by the lumbering wrecker. Rass moved quickly to relieve them of their goggles, then returned back to the elevator with Carter. As the doors closed, Rass heard one of them calling for help over the radio. They left sub-level 13 and rode upward. Rass saw pairs of eyes mobilizing around the city. A voice crackled in over a set of speakers in the elevator. Now, now, Rastaban, I hold a banquet in your honor and you attack my minions. Hardly fitting, my boy, Dr. O said. Who is that? Carter asked. The old coot that runs this place, Rass said. Old? I can forgive coot, but old? This is a two-way intercom, may I inform you, Dr. O said. I would not advise engaging in further acts of violence. I don't care if you did me a great favor. You'll not be enjoying the banquet if you do. What favor, Rass thought. I'll come peaceably if I can guarantee safe passage for my friend, Rass said. A long pause. I'll change your reservation from plus one to two. The elevator chimed and the doors opened, revealing eight guards with two rows of muskets aimed at Rass and Carter. Dr. O's voice piped in again from the tinny speaker. Now, will you be so kind as to grace us with your presence? For as dead and drab as the rest of Solaria had been, the banquet hall was opulent, well-lit, and almost inviting. Paintings hung askew on the walls, indicating gravity's true orientation. Rass once again wore cuffs. A set of goggleless guards separated him from Carter. Their white hair and pale skin would have made Callie in her basement dwelling years look hale and hearty by comparison. In the center of the room, an ornate wooden table stood lined with place settings. The only dinner guest was Callie. Rass, she said, trying to stand from her seat near the head of the table. She wore an elegant green dress that Rass only saw half of as two men behind her forced her roughly back into her chair. The guard seated Rass across the table from Callie and stood at attention behind him. Nice dress, Rass said. Callie gave a look indicating she was a little too frightened for banter and remained silent. The head of the banquet table lacked a chair and Rass wondered if they had been seated at the end of the table. The chairs next to both Callie and him remained empty and Carter was seated half a dozen chairs down. Are you all right? Rass asked Callie. About as much as I could expect to be. She looked beautiful. Seeing her dress like that and imprisoned wasn't right. Rass felt his cheeks flush with anger. Men in black uniforms entered the room and deposited trays in front of the three prisoners, the two empty settings next to Rass and Callie, and the one at the seatless head of the table. The double doors swung open as two servers made a great show of their guests of honor. Dr. O. Risenbron in his wheelchair and a woman in a slinky black dress, the elegance of which was marred somewhat by her bandaged arms and slight limp. Dixie! Rass said, and was reminded quickly of the roughly enforced no-standing policy. Hello, Rass, she said in an uncharacteristically docile tone. I'm glad to see her so well. 
A server pulled a chair out next to Callie for Dixie to sit on. Rass was too distracted with Callie to notice the long-eared, four-legged white creature sitting on the armrest of Dr. O's wheelchair. A server picked up the small beast and set it down next to Rass at the remaining play setting. Rass thought better than to ask why. There we are, Bartholomew. Dr. O cooed at the small creature. Bartholomew sniffed at the covered tray until it noticed Rass staring at it, then stared back with red, beady eyes. I have to say I'm getting very mixed signals, Rass said. Oh? The old man cocked an eyebrow. It's simple, really. I disabled the ship that was bringing my long-lost granddaughter back to me, and for that, the very least I could do was provide supper. Dixie looked embarrassed for what Rass imagined to be the first time in her life. So, Dixie O'Risenbron? Rass asked. Astrid, actually, Dr. O said, quite happy with himself. Astrid O'Risenbron. We lost her at such an early age, it's no wonder she picked up such a silly name like Dixie Piper. Astrid is so... Regal, Rass said. If the table were narrower, he would have expected a swift kick from Dixie. Yes, Regal, a fine name for a princess, Astrid. Dixie made a face that looked like she was doing her best to agree. It will take some getting used to, again, she said, half smiling. Carter just watched on from the other side of the table, sneaking a roll of bread from one of the bowls. Where are my manners? Dr. Rowe asked. Bartholomew must be starving. He clapped his hands twice and the servers removed the lids from in front of everyone. Bartholomew attacked the long orange stalks revealed before him. Rass looked down at his plate. An ornate pistol sat in front of him. Is this a test? Life is a test, so why not? Dr. Rowe said before cutting into the hunk of meat before him. I will say there are some advantages to living on the ground for the time being. What is this? You've never seen a forcible engine rebooter? Dr. Rowe asked. Of course you haven't. I invented it, he cackled heartily. It reverses the signal I broadcast over the city that disabled your engine. I just repackaged it into something more portable. I asked, Grandfather, Dixie said, choking on the word, to spare you, Callie, and your ship for the sake of Verdant. And when that didn't work, she said it would be a suitable reward for bringing my dear sweet Astrid back to me, Dr. O said. I'm still on the fence about your Lorian friend. Carter? Rass asked. Yes, the brute. Carter spoke up. I'm actually a cartographer. Same difference, said the doctor. Rass noticed Dixie shooting him a furtive look while the mad doctor preoccupied himself with his meal. So how close are you to getting this city up and running? The old man smiled with the interest in his handiwork. With the current rate of parts deliveries, I'd wager a few more years. If we weren't so far away from the trade routes, we could be skybound in less than a year. Oh, what I'd love for is one of those collective dreadnoughts to have a reason to fly over us. He stared off into the distance, his mind full of some new scheme. For Carter's release, I could arrange that, Rass said. Excuse me? You fix Carter's ship and I'll bring the collective this way. Dr. O laughed. You're pulling my leg. Just ask Astrid, Rass said. They're very inclined to have me and even detained your granddaughter once because of me. If they knew where I was, they'd come. The old man eyed Rass warily, then looked at Carter. He turned to Dixie. Is he being straight with me? She nodded eagerly. Oh, they definitely don't like him. Wonderful, Dr. O said. The Elorian can go then. Minions, take him back to his ship. I'd rather take him to his ship if it's all the same, Rass said. Dr. O chuckled. It's not, but very well. Don't trust me. Grandfather? Dixie asked. They still need to repair one of their damaged engines. Fine, Dr. O said, throwing his hands up. Prisoners are so demanding nowadays. His voice began to rise, wobbling its way to an unstable crescendo. When I was your age, a prisoner got gruel once a day, and he was grateful. He blinked twice, then spoke again. He had regained some of his composure. Minion number four. A white-haired man with a scar over his left eye stepped up. Sir. 
escort Mr. Rastaban and his friends come nightfall to the boneyard so they may salvage from the remains. Number four nodded and supper continued. Rass almost brought up the fact that what was on his plate wasn't edible, but he didn't want to push any of the old man's randomly placed buttons. Sir, Callie said in a small voice. Dr. O stopped his fork halfway to his mouth. She speaks, he said around a mouthful of steak. I was curious what you knew about the city surrounding Solaria, Callie said. Oh, yes. Bogues, is it? Quaint little village, Dr. O said. Did you know about the battle here before the clockwork war? Callie asked. Dr. O wiped his mouth with his napkin, leaving a grimace. Such things do not make for polite dinner conversations, young miss. Callie's eyes flared with life. You're the first person I've ever met that has acknowledged something happened here. Well, being the epicenter of the great overload doesn't leave many left to tell the tale, Dr. O said. But Bartholomew is sensitive to violence, and I do not wish to damage his innocence. He's a rabbit, Callie said, frustration mounting. Excuse me? Dr. O asked, his eyes narrowing behind his glasses. What did you call him? Callie, Rass said, trying to calm the situation. A rabbit. Floppy ears, long legs, eats carrots, Callie said as she pointed her hand across the table to the animal, who looked back at her, sniffing the air. They're called rabbits. Dr. O turned his attention to the animal. Bartholomew, is it true? Is that what land dwellers call you? Rabbit, he said, wrapping his mouth around the word for the first time. That's quite fun to say. Rabbit. Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. He clapped his hands twice. Four. Take Bartholomew and place him with the other Bartholomews. Rabbits he said, nodding a thanks to Callie. Learn something new every day, don't we? Minion number four stepped in, extracted Bartholomew, and left the room post-haste. Now that innocent ears are absent, Dr. Rose said, let us talk of Bogues. He placed his utensils carefully upon his plate. My father fought in the war in the first airship brigade, commanded by Halcyon Napier himself. Seeing as we're so close to the wild, Bogues was the first city subjugated by the elders and the last one for them to leave. Every book I've read said treading was the last battle. Kelly said. As far as proper give-and-take battles go, yes, that's entirely accurate, Dr. O said. Bogues was a massacre. Napier led the first in an aerial attack on the Elder's makeshift base, but those clockwork detonated a weapon of some sort, creating the first convergence and destroying themselves in the process. The rest is history. That's not how it happened, Carter said, his voice echoing through the room as the rest of the diners turned their attention his way. Dr. O laughed a little too loudly. Are you calling my father a liar? Perhaps not an intentional liar, Carter said, but that's not the whole story. Then what is? Callie asked. The elders didn't have a weapon that made a convergence, Carter said, pressing his napkin nervously in his lap. Hal Napier used energy-filled cannonballs. Nonsense, Dr. O shouted. You go one lower than a liar and accuse my father of being an accessory to apocalypse. If you continue with these idiotic notions, I don't care if Rastaban brings in a dozen dreadnoughts. I'll have you rot in the belly of Solaria long after we're skybound. The room fell silent, and Carter showed no further interest in speaking. There we are. Settled, Dr. Rose said. All this shouting has wearied me. He looked over to Rass. Minion number 38, Dr. O asked, prompting a man in uniform to step up to Dr. O's side. Put out a message that we have a Mr. Erasmusphere, Rass said. I like Rastabon better. Dr. O said, put out a message that we have a Mr. Erasmus Veer in our possession would very much like to offer assistance to the collective. Yes, sir. The minion said, nodding and exiting the room. Now, Mr. Erasmus, Dr. O said, you will wait in what I hope you find to be more agreeable quarters until we have a confirmation that the Collective indeed holds an interest in you. I thought you said we could go, Rass said. 
You wanted the brute's freedom, and you wanted to personally ensure I upheld my part of the bargain, Dr. Rose said. I don't see how you could do the latter if you left immediately. Rass looked over to Carter, who gave a weak smile. Wife and kid, Rass reminded himself. A set of guards whose numbers Rass could only guess escorted him, Callie, Dixie, and Carter into a room that Rass presumed had been decorated by a doting grandfather with a five-year-old girl in mind. The expanse of pink was only occasionally interrupted by various colors of dust-laden plush pillows and googly-eyed stuffed animals. As soon as the door shut behind him, Dixie addressed the three sternly with the more familiar tone and rate. One, if any of you breathe a word about this room, I will end you. End you. You too, Hulk. She said, wagging a finger at Carter, then looked into the intercom by the door and placed a palm over the speaker. Two, you're taking me with you, and I don't care how it happens. But your family, Kelly said. And that madman is not my grandfather, and amending my first two points, you will also meet your end if I ever hear any of you say Astrid again. Rass failed to suppress a laugh, collapsing onto the pink bed half-covered in pillows. It was the most comfortable thing he had ever experienced. Come on, this place isn't all that bad. Comfy bed, creepy green goggled minions, crazy old man that needs to keep up a fantasy that his granddaughter is alive. Is this down? This feels like down. Rass patted the comforter. The oddness of the whole situation was well mitigated by his need for rest. I don't know. I haven't slept on it, Dixie said dismissively. Oh, whatever it is, Rass said with a yawn. I'm getting one. I don't care if it only comes in pink. He closed his eyes. Oh, Dixie, Callie, this is Carter. Carter... Dixie and Callie. Where did you hear that story about how Napier you're starting to write overload? Callie asked. My father. Carter said. Where did he hear it? His father. You're not the most forthcoming fella, are you? Dixie asked. Carter pointed to the intercom box by the door and tapped his ear. I just want to get home. The doctor mentioned you were from Aloria? Callie said. Where's that? It was wiped off most maps many years ago. Oh, Callie said. Does that make you a uh, remnant? No, he has a ship, Rass said groggily. The wear and tear on his body combined with the exquisite bed made a nearly insurmountable case for sleep. He tried to say something else, then quickly forgot it as exhaustion excused him from the conversation. Something heavy landed squarely on Rass's midsection, jerking him awake. He craned his neck up from the sea of dusty pillows and wrapped his hands around his father's grapple gun on his stomach. Dixie stood at the entrance, once more in her regular clothing. That's for stealing my bed. Callie sat in a lavish chair next to the bed, also having changed out of her dress. I mentioned you probably left it behind. Rass's body protested when he sat up. Two falls in one day made a tie for his record, and his body begrudged him both. I'm surprised it wasn't crushed by the elevator, Rass said, inspecting the device. The magnetic slide down the shaft gave its top a shiny yet worn appearance. Rass noticed a full spool of cable and new magnetic charges. Oh, it was, Dixie said. The old man is a tinkerer, and I suppose bored when there aren't new pilots to terrorize. How long was I out? Rass asked. Almost 15 hours, said Callie. He needed it. What did I miss? Callie told me all your embarrassing childhood stories, said Dixie. Rass shot a betrayed look over at Callie, who wrinkled her nose and shook her head in an amusing denial of Dixie's accusation. Carter told the Silorian folklore. It was fun. A knock prompted Dixie to open the door, revealing the scarred visage of minion number four. It's time. The collective is on their way. They reached the top of the dead city as the diffused moonlight brightened the cloud cover. Dixie sweet-talked number four into letting her say goodbye to her friends, and only after much protest and the threat of playing the malign granddaughter card was she permitted onto the skiff. Another minion, number 30, joined to fill the vehicle to capacity with six riders. Four pressed a button on the dash, and the skiff shot down the streets of Solaria until it ramped off the last airship dock. Hang on. 
The skiff fell sharply, its propulsion system not kicking on until the moment before it would have collided with the cracked streets of Bogues. They eventually gained enough altitude to fly over the obelisk gate and back into the foggy forest as per Rass's guidance. After a quick stop to collect his jet cycle, Rass led the skiff to the brass fox, which waited unmolested in the midst of a forest. You came from Verdant in that? Four asked. Rass muttered something uncharitable under his breath and parked the jet cycle within the ship. After lowering the gangplank, he asked Callie to man the helm and start the engine when prompted. Four pulled Dr. O's pistol and pointed at the engine to reverse the jammed intake. Can this thing also do jamming? Rass asked. You want to gum up your intake again? Four asked, laughing. Yeah, it works both ways. He tucked the gun in his belt behind him. Rass called up for Callie to try to start the windstrider. A moment passed and the engine chuffed in protest, then roared to life. Rass ran up to the deck, followed by four and thirty. All right, Carter, where to? Rass asked with more energy than he had felt in quite a while. The sleep, coupled with captaining a ship again, made him feel almost like a new man. It was either that or knowing the collective was once again on his heels. East, just don't fly over the town. Carter said. The brass fox limped back into the sky with one engine. The wind blew on Rass's face again, offering a stark contrast to the stale air in the belly of Solaria. Within ten minutes, Carter navigated them to a ship which looked unmistakably familiar. A sister ship to the Kingfisher, if ever there was one. Is that? Kelly began to ask. I know, Rass said. Carter, is that a typical design for an Elorian ship? Nothing quite like them, is there? Carter said proudly. I'm surprised you've seen one before. Like I said, it's triple capable, so most people don't spot them. Tropo troposphere capable? Rass smacked his forehead. Now it made sense why Hal managed to stay hidden for so long. Do do all Alorians stay up there? The troposphere, I mean? Not necessarily, but most do, Carter said. There aren't many of them left. The brass fox landed next to Carter's ship. You hug that wife and baby for me, Callie said. They sound so sweet. Carter nodded and extended a hand to Rass. I'm glad you tripped over me. I'm glad I met a wrecking ball. Rass's hand disappeared into Carter's mitt. Carter, four and thirty, disembarked and shortly got his ship's engines back in working order. Rass watched the minions return to the brass fox and then Carter's ship took off. So why is it called a boneyard? Rass asked. Further south, Rass found his answer. Despite the dense fog, Rass could see at least fifty ships in various states of disassembly. What happened to their crews? Rass asked, turning to four. They didn't deliver granddaughters, he said matter-of-factly. Find something suitable and land. You don't have all night. Rass surveyed the field, which consisted of transports, tankers, and a few ships emblazoned with pirates' insignias. How about that ship? Tixie said, pointing to port. Looks a lot like this one. Rass pulled the wheel to port and glided over to the ship she was pointing out. As he did so, a knot of dread began to twist in his stomach, but he forced himself to ignore it and continue. The moon came out from behind a rare break in the clouds, illuminating the decrepit vessel, and Rass could no longer ignore his gut. No. He whispered. He began shaking ever so slightly. Not like this. What's wrong? Callie asked. Rass dropped the gangplank while the brass fox still glided along low to the ground. He abandoned the helm, forcing Dixie to take the wheel. Callie chased after him. Rass! Callie shouted. What's going on? He leapt off the gangplank, fell five feet and rolled. Callie stopped at the deck railing, her shouts nothing but an echo to him as his heart pounded faster. Dashing past a small transport, he arrived at the rusted shell of the vessel his mother faithfully used to take him off to sea and welcome home. The Silver Fox lay ruined.